The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to That's So Retrograde. Welcome to That's So Retrograde. Hello. Guys, we've been starting this new format where we like stop kibitzing up at the top and we save it all for the end. Well, it's kind of old new because if people recall when we were at Rama, we only had like 45 minutes top to bottom and to do all of our ads. So we never did segmented pieces. And I really kind of enjoy the vibe. Yeah, we're back to basics. Yeah. I love it. It's like someone has a gun to our head. Record this podcast. So we will, you'll get more of us. At the end of the show for our Roses and Thorns segment. But today, it's a really fun one. It's a rosy show. We've got Dr. Judy Ho joining us. And we're thrilled to have you here. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with her work, but in case you're not, Judy is an author of three books, correct? I am author of one book that's in the public space, but I have some books that are in the research and academic space. Okay. Okay. Humble brat. She is a professor at Pepperdine University, and you may know her from The Doctors or hosting her own show on CBS called Face the Truth. Many other TV shows, a media darling, if you will. Truly. Oh, and and <laughs> uh, recently, Stephanie and I became acquainted with you on The Doctors because we both were riveted, hyper enthralled by Aaron, Aaron Carter, Carter segment oh. that made its way onto the internet. And we. Yes. It was a viral sensation slash source of concern. Yeah. Yeah. And I know he's a patient, but it was on TV, so. We can mention it. <laughs> we can mention yeah. it, right? Correct. Well, we didn't treat him. He just oh, okay. came on TV. So we can talk about what we saw on TV and what yeah. led him to that. Because, you know, he wanted to come and get his mom help. That was really the reason why he was coming to the show. But then, of course, through the process, we found that, you know, perhaps he still needs some help, too. Yeah. Perhaps. Yeah. But it's it's hard for him, I think, to to focus on himself. You know, he was really focused on, no, you need to help my mom. And I think um, a lot of it was just him not being able to, like, fully self-reflect and move on with the next steps. Because we did recommend next steps for him. We told him he should get an evaluation with me, that he should follow up. And, you know, that didn't happen. And then and he instead, he got a full face tattoo. So if you guys aren't following this online— <laughs> Oh, it's just really sad. I feel like that's an example of the toxic combination of having a bad childhood and becoming famous. And then having like the constant feedback loop of the internet uh, kind of engaging in your decisions. It's so hard. You know, I mean, I think you guys hit the nail on the head in that when people are children, they're not really supposed to be tasked with all of these major responsibilities and pressures that child stars like Aaron, and of course, there's many other ones as well. And it really takes away from their growth as a child, I think. You know, you're supposed to have that time of being carefree and having other people be responsible and be the breadwinners. And I think for these individuals who are in the media for so long. They don't even know what it's like to disengage, right? Because that is their family in a way Mm -hmm. because they were always in front of the public. So then they feel like they always have to answer to the public and feed the public. I mean, I feel like that can be a lot of pressure for anyone. It definitely takes like the rare people that I've witnessed and also just personally known who have been child stars who Mm -hmm. are well-adjusted. Their gift is that they had like a very, very strong protective family structure. Absolutely. And a parent who actually was like, 
making decisions for their best interest and not like for the check for the check exactly or not recognizing the severity of the situation yeah so that's how Steph and I got introduced to you and (laughs) then we were like she's so smart and then we went on a full deep dive and we realized you had a book come out as you said called stop self sabotage six steps to unlock your true motivation and harness your willpower and get out of your own way yes Wow. So then we did a deep dive on that and we'll get into that in a little bit. But also your forensic psychologist yes. as well. Just, yes. You've got a, some serious stuff When going you on. first walked in, you were like, I just did my 40 hours of prior practice. And uh, <laughs> like, how <laughs> how do you do it, Dr. Judy? <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, first of all, I am definitely an admitted al- uh, alcoholic. Workaholic. Workaholic. <laughs> wrong. What if this was wrong one? What if this turned into Can you imagine? Your it's an intervention. <laughs> Actually, you guys are here to intervene. Viral. Yeah. I know, my God. No, so I, I'm definitely a workaholic. I don't see it as a problem because I really love the things that I do. Yeah. So, but I do have multiple jobs and they take up many, many hours of my waking hours, which I have a lot of because I just mentioned I sleep five hours a night. But I, I do have a private practice. I'm a clinical and forensic neuropsychologist. And so a lot of what I do in my private practice is do these comprehensive evaluations of a person and try to recommend what it is that they need. You know, what is their diagnosis? What are the main problems that we need to deal with for this person and what are the treatments that they need. And so this translates in the forensic world because in both criminal and civil cases, oftentimes that's exactly what's at stake. You know, is this person truly injured? And if so, what do they need? And in the criminal world, it's more like, well, is this person someone we can rehabilitate? Mm. Is he going to be a productive member of society? What do you think the chances are that they will recidivate and they're going to come back into jail? How do you feel about the massive popularity of true crime and, and oh, all of that. So love for serial killers. That right. Seem to I know. <laughs> I understand the fascination, but mm-hmm. I'm also can't help but take a step back and do a little bit of a double take in terms right. of why we're giving so much breath to it. Yeah, it's such a good question. I think it's a couple of reasons. I think one of the biggest reasons is that you wonder if it could happen to you or someone you know. Mm -hmm. You know, so it feels very personal because most of these stories, and as you can see in the true crime shows, if you've ever watched them, they unravel in such a way that the person first starts out, they're like a good productive citizen and they're handsome, they're pretty, they're smart. You know, they're a good job. They were a good neighbor. Exactly. (laughs) And everyone's thinking, could that be me? Could that be my neighbor? Could that be my ex-boyfriend? And so there's a real personal component that makes people really want to tune in. Yeah. But then the other piece, I think, is just that all human beings are voyeurs. Like, we just want to watch train wrecks. It sucks, but it's true. (laughs) I mean, why do we tune in to, you know, popular media many times? You know, you kind of want to read that article where somebody sort of has, like, a meltdown at the Oscars or something. Right. And it's not that we're mean people. It's just that it's like that train wreck you can't look away from. Yeah. And so you kind of have to follow it to the end and see what happens. And I think that's why it's so popular. And then we were talking before we started recording that, you know, what's the deal with these people who email mass murders in in jail, send them letters and say, I want to be your new wife when they know that they have a propensity <laughs> to kill their romantic partners. I mean, Ted Bundy got married in prison. I know. What is that? Yeah. You know, to me, I think it's because sadly, a lot of people want to like fix the broken ones. And it's almost an extreme level of that. Like when we are able to fix a broken one, we feel good about ourselves. It's almost like a self-esteem reinforcing thing. Yes. So you want to do that and you want to be the person who changes. Oh, this person doesn't get murdered. Yeah. (laughs) This person was misunderstood. It's a real big risk to take. It's a real big, yeah. But it's like, you know, 
this person was misunderstood. I understand him. I can make him love me. I can make him the productive citizen. And now adding to that, we get so much media attention for these criminals that they almost become stars in their own right. Right? They become celebrities. So then you really want to go and like write a letter to a celebrity. It's like a fan mail. Yeah. So it's it sucks, but it's bleak. Pretty much what's going on. On a lesser level, obviously the murder thing is like the extreme version. Yeah. But I do find that in life, a lot of people want to save people. And then if you really look at it, you find that it's kind of this way for them not to like look inward at themselves. Like Mm -hmm. it's so much easier to find someone who you see the problems objectively and you're like, I can rehabilitate you as a lover, as a friend, when really then you're just overlooking all the shit that you're not dealing with with yourself. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you hit it on the head. That's exactly what happens because then you don't have to work on your own stuff. Right. You can work on someone else and feel good about that. It's almost like a diversion. Yeah. You know, sometimes we talk about in family systems that there's always like a scapegoat and that's the person that you focus on. They're the identified problem. I need to fix them. Right. But then it allows everybody else in the family to never have to work on themselves. Right. And it's always this person that's like the crisis and the problem. And so I think that that really explains, I think, in large part why sometimes we say, oh, how come girls are attracted to bad boys? And there's a reason for that. Right. Classic you know? tale. Classic tale. Let's take a quick break. Okay. We got to give love to uh, one of the brands that helps make today's episode possible. Yes. We are talking about Daily Harvest. Yum. Holding court in my freezer right now. You know, for the holiday season, when we're just out and about eating and drinking on so many different outings, it's really nice to be able to come home to something that you know is going to nourish you and make you feel healthy mm-hmm. in the face of eggnog and bready passer trays. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like it's a nice balance to charcuterie. Exactly. You know? That's what I'm saying. If you guys aren't familiar with Daily Harvest, they make it easy to eat more fruits and vegetables with thoughtfully sourced chef crafted foods that can be prepared in five minutes or less. They work directly with farmers to harvest organic fruits and vegetables at their peak and they freeze them within 24 hours to lock in their nutrients. And you can tell too, they're so fresh they and are. delicious. Yeah. And there's endless options. You can choose from more than 65 different options in like smoothies, hearty soups, harvest bowls, overnight oats. It's incredible. And it's all right there. It's so easy to do. You add your milk to a smoothie, you add a broth to a bowl, and then you either put it in the pan, you put it in, in the blender, and you're just good to go. I'm a big fan of the chocolate blueberry smoothie. Mm. I just put it in my little magic bullet. It's so delicious. And like sometimes I'll add like a little flax powder or anything else I have around the house a if maca. I want to. But I don't have to. No, you don't. Because it's all right there. A little coconut water, a little milk, M-Y-L-K of choice. Sometimes I appreciate the less is more of the smoothie. Yeah. And Daily Harvest makes it easy to do everything or do nothing. So convenient. Whether you're at your desk or on a hike or on your way to the gym, Daily Harvest is the easiest way to have a delicious and nutritious meal or snack. So go to dailyharvest.com and enter promo code retrograde and you will get $25 off your first box. Oh, good. That's, That's promo a good code deal. retrograde. Yeah, it is. I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I love using our own promo codes for stuff. That's dailyharvest.com promo code retrograde, guys. Get yourself set up for a, a post-holiday reset. Or during. Or whatever you want. Just all the time. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just tailoring this <laughs> to the holidays because it's where we're at. Yeah. Now back to the show. Yeah, hell yeah. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for working women that support each other's successes. 
In each episode, we bring in leading female powerhouses for career real talk and BS-free advice. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Why do you think that it's so hard for people to really come into contact with the work that they need to do on themselves? Because we talk about this on the show all the time. You know, this mm. is like a wellness show where yes. we want everyone to be like their best, happiest version of themselves. But yes. it requires deep self-work. I don't know, because you you were talking about this thing called self-concept. Mm-hmm. And I just learned about this because I was listening to like this date, this Australian like dating guy, um, uh-huh. Matthew Hussey. Have you heard of him? That name sounds familiar, but I'm not familiar with his work. He's so smart. And he was talking about the self-concept and how like we make that like a movable thing. Oh. That instead of, so in dating, mm-hmm. we get heartbroken because our self-concept is movable. But the behaviors that we like allow in like aren't when it should be Mm -hmm. opposite when we should be like our self-concept should be strong and the behavior that we accept should be something that we like are navigating with in a more loose way. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Define self-concept Yeah, I want to talk about self-concept because it's fascinating. Yes. Well, so first of all, I'm so glad that the two of you are so interested in introspection and and promoting wellness and being a good example for all of your listeners because… When you're doing self-development, it's not supposed to be comfortable. If you're doing it right, Right. you're not going to feel amazing all the time. It's not going to be sunshine and butterflies. You're going to have some really dark moments where, whoa, I did not know that this might be what I'm doing. And I don't like this part of myself. Right. But, you know, that's where you get to the other side, right? That's when you actually see yourself emerging and becoming, you know, a more developed person or a more developed version of yourself. And when we talk about self-concept, I mean, that is the core of who we are on this earth. So self-concept is at basic level who you are in your identity. In your idea of yourself. In your idea of yourself. Okay. And so, of course, we always talk about the goal being that you have a very secure self-concept that is internalized. And even if there are onslaughts of people criticizing you or something bad happening to you that day, your self-concept is unshakable. Well, that's very difficult to achieve because we're social animals. So we react to how people react to us. In fact, our self-concept originally is developed based on other people's reactions to us. So what I mean by that is, how do you know that you're funny? How do you know that you're smart? It's because at some point, somebody gave you feedback about that or even directly compared you to another person. Oh, you're so much funnier than your sister, (laughs) right? And then you're like, oh, maybe I'm a funny person. And the funny thing about that is then we lean into the things that people have rewarded us for. Mm -hmm. So if you were rewarded for being very cute when you were young, you know, perhaps you also put more stock into taking pride in how you look and making sure that, you know, you're always dressed well because you know that that is what people are responding to. And so you start to get better and better at certain parts of your self-concept because of the positive feedback you're getting. Right. But maybe certain ones have been neglected because you haven't gotten as good feedback about it. And then it still impacts you in adulthood. Right. So for example, if in your childhood, you weren't sure if your parents really loved you, that they sometimes felt like they were ignoring you or maybe they loved a sibling more than you, then sometimes as an adult, it makes it harder for you to have intimate relationships. It's hard for you to believe that somebody would just love you for you. Because it's not part of your created self-concept. Yeah. And so then we have to really focus on how do we change our self-concept in adulthood when in childhood we learned this lesson that kind of got ingrained. And over time, we've never really reworked that. And so our old self-concept is still there. And so oftentimes when I find an intimate relationship, when people sort of doubt the intention of their partner, or I don't know if you'd be around if I wasn't 
doing all of these things for him or if I wasn't beautiful or if I didn't have money or whatever the fear is, oftentimes it stems from the childhood self-concept and whether or not that was really fully established when you were little. Okay. And is that the source of how we've heard of self-esteem, mm-hmm. but that's always seemed like n- intangible to me. Yeah, I know. I guess self-concept and self-esteem are both kind of intangible. Sometimes it's hard to describe, but I see self-esteem as having a lot of different facets. Like, for example, I have much better academic self-esteem than I do engineering self-esteem or basketball self-esteem, you know, like there's multiple levels of self-esteem in different areas. And so sometimes you feel like you're really good at one area, but not as good at another area. Or sometimes people feel really good about their academic skills. So they have high academic self-esteem, but poor social self-esteem because then they get into a social environment and they always feel like they're the ones being ignored or people aren't paying attention to them. And so self-esteem can sort of be in these different facets where self-concept a lot of times that's sort of just the core self. It's like a holistic picture of what you believe about yourself. Okay. And then that's what leads us to a certain level of like sabotage. For sure. Yeah. And your self-esteem does play a role. So if you have a self-concept that's generally good, but then you have really, really low romantic self-esteem, then that's where you're going to self-sabotage the most. It's almost like somebody doesn't text you back within an hour and then you text them and you're like, never mind, I guess we won't go out on a second date. And then they freak out on you. song in my soul? (laughs) (laughs) Taking a peek in the soul. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But you know, you you start to feel those. (laughs) You're like, I see you. I see you, Stephanie. (laughs) But you can understand how that could work. It's like in your own head. Sure. Right? It's not even necessarily rooted in reality, but the thoughts that we tell ourselves in that one hour that we didn't hear back from the person, all of a sudden you built up this reality that maybe doesn't exist. So how, I don't know anything about that. Digging back (laughs) in to reprogramming our Mm self-concept. What are some tools that we can, because I I know it's deep. Yes. Yes. Well, I think a lot of how we reprogram our self-concept really has to come down to recognizing what the core belief was that was operating in our previous self-concept that Mm -hmm. we're not sure we like. So core belief is your basic beliefs about who you are in this world and what you mean to other people. And so core beliefs are really pervasive. They kind of span across all different conditions and they're very judgmental and they usually start with I am. And it's a very, very shorthand sort of thought. So it can be things like I'm unworthy, I'm helpless, I'm unlovable, and horrible things like that. And you can see how that can operate in multiple aspects, right? So if you have a core belief that you're unworthy, then anytime anything good happens to you, you're going to sabotage it. Mm. Because the human brain has a propensity to want to confirm our beliefs. And so I know. feel safe. Yeah. It's really weird because confirming a negative belief, you would think that doesn't make you feel safe. Yeah. But actually— our brain wants consistency. And it's convenient for us to click in. Yes, exactly. And that's this notion of like self-preservation as well. Totally. Which right now I'm currently obsessed with breaking down. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's kind of like the devil you know, right? Yeah. And and that's why people say, well, how come somebody who, to get a little darker for a minute as an example, how can people who have been abused go into another abusive relationship? Well, because they almost replicate the pattern because at least they know how they survived the last one. But they don't know what it's like to date somebody who doesn't treat them that way because there's an unknown there. And the unknown can be really scary for some people. For all people. Yeah. I think for all people. I think for all human beings. And it makes sense. Why would the unknown be 
interesting to the human mind, which is all about self-preservation and survival. And the less we know, the least likely we are to survive, right? But that's like the core, when we talk about like enlightenment or like a high spiritual person, they Mm -hmm. embrace the unknown. Yeah. That's how you become like actually present. Well, I think you embrace the unknown by really focusing in on your values. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you making yourself be uncomfortable? If it's just to check something off a list, it's hard. But then if you say, well, my core value is community and it is uncomfortable for me. I have social anxiety and I don't want to go to this party. But if my core value is community, I'm going to force myself to do it even though I'm not comfortable, right? And so you kind of have to click into what's driving you as a person as opposed to just looking around you and saying, I want what she has or he has and having that sort of why do you want those things? Yeah. Yeah. And that is one way to build your self-concept is one focusing in on your values. But the other part of it is once you realize those terrible core beliefs that might be operating underneath, doing behavioral experiments to kind of actively challenge yourself that this is not real. You know, maybe you believe you're unworthy, but does this even make sense anymore? You know, what if you got that promotion and you just did a good job and then you got another promotion? Doesn't that basically tell you you are worthy? You know, it's almost like trying to check back on that belief by looking at your life where it is now and saying, hey, it doesn't fit. And the way to make it fit is not to make it fit your existing beliefs, but to actually say, no, maybe that was true at some point in my life. Maybe with one person, maybe one adult, maybe it was with my mom. But now, now that core belief doesn't even apply anymore. I should make a new one. And is that why we experience like a internal dissonance when we say our value is community, mm-hmm. but we are have the anxiety? That's that's why we're in pain because we're not allowing ourselves to really experience the thing that would make us feel yeah, like more connected or, I mean, community is obviously the thing of connection, but that level of like unrest, that's yeah. what we need to go into in order to fix the self-concept or yes. get into alignment. You almost have to encourage the cognitive dissonance, right? Right. Yeah. So cognitive dissonance is this concept. I think it's so interesting. That's the idea. This uh, psychologist, his name was Dr. Festinger, and he kind of came up with this idea that the human mind really does not like the dissonance. So if you have two beliefs that don't make sense right. or a belief that doesn't match an action, like for example, you're working in tobacco prevention, you know, t- having people not use tobacco and then yet you smoke a pack a day, you know, that is going to bring cognitive dissonance about. And then when you have that cognitive dissonance, our brains naturally want to resolve it. And one way to resolve it is just to justify it and say, well, I don't need community that much anyway. Right. Right. But the other way to resolve it is say, no, be honest with yourself. Community is really important to you. So the way to address this dissonance is to stop being socially avoidant. Because you go can to have the social party. anxiety and be lonely. Yes. That's a problem. Exactly. Exactly. And most people who have social anxiety are. That's the interesting thing about social anxiety, right? People sometimes think, oh, they have social anxiety. That just means that they don't like being around people. Oh my gosh, no. They want to be around people sometimes the most. Right. They just fear being judged and then their world will crumble if people hate them. And it's the same thing with people who are struggling with autism spectrum disorders. Again, people think, oh, they just don't like human connection. It's so untrue. People who are on the autism spectrum are sometimes the most sensitive to social perception. They just don't know how to wield themselves in a way that makes them socially efficient. Right. And can you imagine how frustrating that is where you really want to communicate and you can't? You know? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, all of those things that you guys brought up are totally on track with like what we know in the psychology research right now. So let's take another quick pause Mm -hmm. to give love to another 
delicious sponsor that is currently holding court in my kitchen. You know, I uh, discovered this brand a very long time ago. They were probably one of the first health bars that I was really into. You got me into them. Yeah. We're talking about Go Macro, you guys. They are a plant-based snack bar that are certified organic, vegan, gluten-free, kosher, non-GMO, clean and raw and soy-free. And they're a delight. And their mission is to spread awareness for a balanced plant-based lifestyle with products that have positive effects on the world. Oh, I love that. They I love s- a good mission. Me too. They started when their co-founder, Amelia, used a plant-based sustainable diet to help her overcome her battle with breast cancer. And then her daughter, Jola, adopted the diet and it transformed her health. And then they turned their pain into their purpose, just like Fran Drescher. And And now they have Go Macro. Since 2004, they've made it their mission to spread the power of a balanced plant-based lifestyle. My favorite one that I discovered them via was the sun butter and chocolate. Ooh, that one's good. It's so good. I'm a big fan of the cashew butter option. They Mm. call it sweet rejuvenation. And I must say, I concur. I also love the cherries and berries. That one's really good. The almond butter and carob, the granola and coconut. They're all really good. They have snack bars and then they have protein bars. And it's just like really nice to have on hand. I keep some in my car. I keep some in my kitchen when I'm on my way out. Just like a nice option that tastes delicious and you don't feel like you're depriving yourself. You feel like you're nurturing yourself. I give them to people when they're hungry in my house and that's the only food that I have. Yeah. So, you know. (laughs) What else is there? So if you head over to Go Macro, GoMacro.com and you use the promo code retrograde, you'll get 30% off your order and free shipping. It's cool. You can order boxes and then just having them in your house is such a great thing for being on the go. Mm -hmm. A variety pack. Yeah. I'm a big fan of convenience. As I know you are. Oh my God, same. As I know you are, Elizabeth. All right. So again, that's gomacro.com. Use the promo code retrograde. You will get free shipping and 30% off. So back to the convo. Okay. So if we're dealing with issues of the sabotage, because I think that that's, you know, that's what your book is about. Mm -hmm. And we're dealing in these realms of of redefining your self-concept and dealing with our self-esteem. Like, is there sort of like a tool where you see yourself going into the sabotage where you're like, you stop Mm -hmm. it. I have my own like tools that I use of like stopping, erasing, redefining, giving new thoughts, like all these things you have to do to like feed your brain. Mm -hmm. Um, But mine are from like spiritual teachers. So I'm curious uh, from like a psychological point of view, what we can do when we're catching ourselves in a space that's uncomfortable. Definitely. You know, I think oftentimes we don't realize our thoughts and we realize the negative emotion because that's very uncomfortable or we realize the sabotaging action and of course the consequences of that action. Right. Right. And then people would say, oh, I just self-sabotage and they just don't do anything about it. But I think the, (laughs) I know, which is why I wrote the book. Been there, been there, been there. We all like, yeah, you know, nah. I guess that diet's out the door. That relationship's out the door. And you're 34 and single and you really want to stop doing that. Yeah. And I think, you know, we all do it. I mean, that's one big message in my book is sometimes we feel ashamed about it, but all human beings have the propensity to self-sabotage. It's an adaptive thing. And, And what I mean by that is evolutionarily, we have to attain rewards and avoid threat. That's how we survive as human beings. But the modern world sometimes makes us afraid of things that actually aren't going to physically kill us. We start to be afraid of rejection or, you know, vulnerability, vulnerability, confronting a negative part of ourselves. And then we end up thinking about avoiding threat more so than attaining our rewards. And that's why we get in our own way and don't get to the reward phase, which is so icky. But (laughs) as you were saying, how do we stop it? It's when we notice that negative feeling or when we notice that negative action that led to bad consequences that we stop right there and we say, 
what was I thinking just before this? Right. Because your thoughts precede your feelings and your actions, even if you didn't recognize them. And there's always a thought that drives something. You know, you don't just wake up and you're in a bad mood, even though it feels that way. There was a thought that you had, like, I don't want to go to this meeting today. Or I had a fight yesterday and I don't feel good. But we don't recognize the thoughts because why? We have, on average, 50,000 thoughts in a day. Can you imagine if we process all of those thoughts all the time at the conscious level? We would be brain dead. I mean, I don't (laughs) think we would have any brain energy left. You know, so your brain starts to ignore certain things, especially things that have been there for a long time. So, for example, if you have sort of like a self-deprecating thought, like, well, nobody's really going to love me anyway— Your brain starts to ignore that because it's heard it so many times. It's sort of just in the background. It's like programmed in there. Yeah. And yet it can influence how you feel and how you act. Right. And so I think once you make that connection of what was I just thinking before, Mm -hmm. then you can realize what your triggers are and then you can do something about it. I'm trying to think of, for me, a self-sabotage that has been around since grade school is Mm. procrastination. Mm. And I still slip into that. And it almost is the exact same thought pattern of middle school homework. Mm. Mom, I'd rather be on AIM. (laughs) Oh, AIM. (laughs) I remember that. AIM was the best. Oh my. I remember when I was dialing up to uh, AOL. Oh yeah. That was so great. And you just wait like a minute and a half before you get online, before you get on the World Wide Web. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. The patience that we had just to wait for the call. Patience is no more. No. We don't have that anymore. My thing goes in a little circle for like 10 seconds. I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Oh, it's so true. I'm so impatient. I actually took my phone into the Apple store because I thought something was wrong with the power button. <laughs> and I was telling the guy, I was like, you know, I would turn it off and it wouldn't turn back on for at least a minute. And he took my phone. He said, when you turn it off, it takes, you know, 20 seconds or so for it to power down. So when you keep clicking at it, it's still powering down. So there's nothing wrong with your phone. It's that you just need to wait. It's you. 30 <laughs> seconds and, yeah. then turn, and then turn it back on and it'll yeah. be fine. And he's so right. But I thought there was something wrong with my phone. I was so angry. I was like, I have to go to the Apple store. That's so funny. <laughs> oh, we all need to calm Definitely down. <laughs> always procrastinating going to the Apple store. Yeah, oh, sure. That is another, yeah. And, and, I, and I feel what you're saying about the procrastination. Yeah, too. but that almost doesn't feel like a negative thought. It feels mm-hmm. like more of like a sabotaging behavior pattern that just feels comfy yeah. to slip into. Yes. What is your advice on reprogramming that sort of thing? Because as you were talking about identifying our thought process for that, I don't know if it's really, mm-hmm. if that really applies or mm-hmm. if it, or maybe it's like so deep inside yeah. that it's not mm-hmm. direct. So I totally feel this because as I mentioned, everybody has a propensity to self-sabotage and my main driver is procrastination as well. Mm. And the reason is procrastination is one of those things that sometimes is what we call egocentric, which means that it actually is positive in some way, meaning that sometimes you wait till the last minute and then you turn in the best product. I right? like to think and then that's you feel me. amazing about yourself. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm brilliant. I worked all night on this and now I'm getting all the accolades. People love it. Of course, our brains are selective and we forget about the times in which it didn't work out so well. And you turn in a mediocre product or even got in trouble. Or how good it feels to be ahead of your schedule or what you're supposed to be doing. Like that is a really nice feeling too. Right. But I get caught in the procrastination loop and I think I feel rewarded by like giving myself a a tiny window and like still knocking it out of the park. Totally. Because again, sometimes it makes you feel amazing about yourself. So I think with procrastination, it's a little complicated in that there's multiple types of thoughts mm-hmm. that can get in the way. One is those thoughts, which is like, but I feel brilliant when I did it on the last minute and people love me for it. The other thing is it's a pattern, right? It's comfy. Just like any other bad pattern, 
it just feels good in the moment. It feels really good to procrastinate. And then to also know that you probably will end up getting it done at the end. Right. I hate that. So for me, (laughs) the procrastination is stressful. The procrastination that had been coming up for me recently, and I I mentioned this to you before the show, is a lot of things that had to do around my personal health, like Mm -hmm. some testing I needed to do that Mm -hmm. really will help inform me feeling better. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, it took me months to even mm-hmm. open the pamphlet to see the directions of like when I needed to take the test and you how I needed to do it. poop in a tray. Well, there's that. There's a hormone <laughs> test. There's a gut permeability test. There's like a lot oh, of them. Right. And yeah. those boxes take up a lot of space. I don't, yeah. And I'm just mm-hmm. staring at them for months. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I really had to take a look at like, why is it these things mm-hmm. that are falling to the bottom of the list? And why do you think? Hmm. They seem like they would deserve like a time and attention that I mm-hmm. didn't feel like offering to myself. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I wish I had like a straight answer that I felt mm-hmm. confident in, but I don't know. Maybe mm-hmm. underlining would be like, I don't feel like dealing with the results that might mm-hmm. be revealing themselves. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But it was something that I really had blaring in my ear. Right. Well, and I think there are a couple of possibilities here and see if any of these feel like they apply to you. One of them would be that, as you were mentioning, maybe there's a part of you that doesn't think that you deserve that time and attention. You know, there's a part of you that thinks, well, these are all things that somebody would do if there was like a lot of self-love present all the time. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I don't even know if I'm deserving of that self-love. There are times when I don't love myself. I mean, we all feel that way, Mm -hmm. but like some people feel it in a more pronounced way because they're self-reflectors. In some ways, when you're introspection oriented person, you're in pain more than you're happy sometimes. Because again, there's so much introspection. And if you look inside, like no one's going to love themselves all the time, unless you're a complete narcissist. <laughs> and then you love yourself all the time. <laughs> so so I think that could be an element of it. But the other element of this, which I find a lot of times with health, self-sabotaging behaviors. Right. Like even the simple as working out. Right. Yeah. Yes. Is that there's sort of the, and then what? Sort of like, and then I achieve this goal. And then what? Then I have to work out every single day and I have to keep that up. And how much is that going to take from my day? And so it's almost like once you run all these tests, there will be things to do to write your health picture. Yeah. And that can be really overwhelming to think about all the things you have to do to keep up that good health once you get the results. And then mm-hmm. so you just don't get started because it's just like, and then you tell yourself these different excuses like, well, when I have time, when I have time, well, you'll never have time. So six months later, you haven't done them because you're always busy. Yeah, I guess I think the latter because it felt like a whole new mountain to mm-hmm. begin. Yep. And then once once I have that information, it yep. might, but it's the, similarly with working out. I don't know one person who doesn't fall into those ruts. Yes. And then it feels so much harder to self-start Start again. Start again, yes. The hyperactive mind thing. Like mm-hmm. I've learned like if I take ashwagandha, like that does help me in the moments where I need to really sit down and write. Mm-hmm. But it's also just about like doing it. Like, mm-hmm. so that's the behavioral therapy part. So what totally. would be something like for someone that's like, I have a hard time and everyone has this, but like, I can't, you know, do my taxes because mm-hmm. I can't sit down. Mm-hmm. Is there like thoughts or prompts to kind of get you into a place where you can settle down? One of my favorite techniques is a technique that trains your attention. Okay. So basically what you do is you sit down and you have a pad of paper next to you, and then you set a timer for, let's say, 20 minutes to start. Yeah. And you focus on just one task. So whatever that task is, whether it's paying bills or writing emails or writing a blog, but you just have one task and it's for 20 minutes, you set the timer and you have a pad of paper next to you. You start working on the task. And whenever you have a distracting thought, like, oh, maybe I'll go to Macy's.com and see, (laughs) just 
turn to the pad of paper and just jot down what that thought was. Like maybe just write Macy's and then go right back to the task. I love that. Yeah. So it's like, it's nourishing your multitasking brain. Yeah, because you're still documenting it. So yeah. in case it was something important, you can follow up later. I, I love, love that, that so, yeah. so much. Yeah. It works so well. One of our meditation teachers one time was like, you can have a notepad by when you're meditating and write mm-hmm. down those ideas and stop. And I was like, oh. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I just needed someone to give permission yes. to honor those ideas and those thoughts that come through when we quiet our minds because those are the best ideas. Totally. And then I'm like, I don't want to forget that. I don't want to forget that. And, and then, then she like, was like, so not chill. She was like, just stop and write it down and then start again. Yeah. And it really helps you to focus yeah. because once you get a thought out of your head, you don't percolate on it as much. You know, that's why to-do list works. Like sometimes you have so much to do that you're afraid to write it down almost. You're like, oh my God, it's going to be overwhelming. But it always feels better after you write it down because then at least it's on paper and you're not just rehearsing in your head. So that's kind of the spirit of this and also that teaching that you just shared, which is awesome. And so then after you write it down, the timer goes off and then you like spend a couple minutes going through that notepad. Like, okay, this thought was just a whatever thought. It was just me being distracted. Oh, this one. Yes, I do need to pick up oranges today. <laughs> and then you can like actually put that on your list to do. So it's like right. conscious time batching. Yes. And then you can train your brain to get better and better. Meaning like the next time you do it for 25 minutes and the next time you do it for 30. And attention is like a physical muscle that we can train. Right. And yeah, I, I love that technique. I do it sometimes myself. If I feel like totally disorganized, I have so much to do. I'm like, okay, What's the one thing that I can do in the next half an hour? And then I make myself do that technique. And it just makes me feel so accomplished also at the end of that half hour. I love that because it's like, yeah, if you did go to that website in the moment of like the impulse, then you'd be then fully derailed. I know. Because you'll just be there forever. You said something before and I want to just touch on it before we wrap up because I think that a lot of people turn to alternative methods of healing like wellness and listen to the show because they've mm-hmm. been in their lives dealing with issues of depression or anxiety and are looking for a holistic, holistic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, not like, why do you think that that's the mm-hmm. thing that's happening? But I'm sure that's like one of the main issues that you deal with as mm-hmm. a psychologist. Yeah. It's worse than ever. Mm-hmm. What the fuck is going on? Well, I think that sometimes it's scary to actually go to a professional and perhaps be on medication because you don't know how long you'll be on the medication. And and sometimes people just don't like the way medication feels to them, which I totally think is okay. Everybody should have their own opinions about their comfortability towards medication. Now, if you just have periodic depression and anxiety and you find holistic methods are really helping you, there's nothing wrong with that. But But how can you differentiate between like a period of depression and like a clinical overall because I feel like some people think I'm just sad. I must be depressed. But then some people mm-hmm. are really depressed. And then those are the ones that maybe don't even right. acknowledge it or want to get the help. And I would say one big sign to watch for is that you're just unable to conduct the activities of your daily life. Okay. So sometimes people say they feel sad, but they're still able to go to work and they're still able to have relationships and they're able to still go out with their friends. Yeah, maybe it's more tenuous and it's harder for them, but they can do it. Mm-hmm. Then they're probably in a less significant sort of period of clinical depression and perhaps they might even get out of it in a few weeks. But if somebody has been suffering for it for months and they're finding it's hard to even do activities of daily living, it's hard to get up in the morning, it's hard to shower, you're not showing up at work, you're calling in sick all the time, you're isolating yourself from your family and friends, that's when I think you do need to go and get professional intervention. And professional intervention does not mean medication. For a lot of people, it's evidence-based treatments that are psychosocial in nature, that are still based in talk therapy, but learning skill sets like cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. And so I, I just encourage people to think of that as a component of their wellness. Yeah. That you can go to a therapist and learn those skills so that you can manage your life better. Yeah. And that the answer is not always medication. 
right? And the answer is not always a supplement. Sometimes it is a supplement and sometimes it's not. But you have to really be careful that you don't think of that as your only tool, Mm -hmm. right? Like open up your world, like you're interested in holistic methods, but also be interested in some of the other more established scientific methods as well. And then you can find the combination that works for you. I know people who do holistic work and more kind of the traditional medical work and it works for them. And so why wouldn't you want every single tool that's available to you? Fill your toolkit. Right. Yes. So there's like, there's cognitive behavioral therapy, which I'm so interested in because it's, it's mm-hmm. like you said, it's a reframe or retraining. Give yes. me tools. How does that differ from just like the talk therapy? So talk therapy, I think there can be different components, but I think if it's very generalized talk therapy, that's more just sort of supportive somebody to listen to you, somebody to reflect, somebody to, you know, understand what you're going through, which also can be very, very helpful. And oftentimes it's kind of what your friends do for you. A non-biased party. Unbiased party to kind of weigh in. So I think that can also be helpful, but talk therapy, the very generic type, doesn't necessarily teach you tools. Right. But it makes you feel emotionally better. It makes you feel heard. And sometimes people will say, I just want to go talk to my therapist. It's okay even if I don't learn any skills today because I just don't want to burden my friends. Right. And I can just go to this person who I'm paying to pay attention to me and my worries for an hour. And I just get to spitball and say whatever I want. And sometimes they come up with a really great idea in the middle of their session. Like, whoa, I didn't think about it that way. Right. It's a different perspective that helps you to do your life differently. Right. Yeah. So I guess it's just whatever someone's looking for is what they so someone's like I have depression I want to go to see a therapist mm-hmm. Google what am I Googling what am I looking for well what, what are the, like the things that I need to connect my own dots cognitive behavioral therapy is definitely one of the gold standard treatments for depression but there's also a lot of other really up and coming ones that are very scientifically validated too what's the one EMDR so EMDR there's also for some people they do TMS which is like a transmagnetic stimulation okay that's for more serious depressions some people find a lot of help with neurofeedback which is learning how to regulate your brain waves and brain patterns it's kind of cool there's also somatic experiencing that teaches you how we to deal that. with your bodily yeah. symptoms. I yeah. love somatic too. And then there's dialectical behavior therapy and acceptance and commitment therapy, which are offshoots of CBT. So, I mean, the world is your oyster these it. days. We it's have exciting. so many amazing techniques. Yeah. So try them, you know, and interview your therapist. I always tell people, you know, you spend forever picking the perfect dress from Revolve or picking the right rice cooker from Amazon. So why wouldn't you take that type of approach with your therapist. Sometimes people just settle for the first one. Right, because it seems annoying Yeah, to but go you, other places. But you really should. You should interview them. And actually, I love it when my clients come in and they have a list of questions for me. I go, oh, you did your homework. That's great. Because you really need to know, you know, do you have experience with depression? How do you how do you work with people with depression? How many people have you treated? Right. What's your modality? Do you use CBT or something else? And how would you approach my problems? Right now, my problems are that I'm having difficulty going to work every day and I'm having problems with my wife. So, what do you think? What will you do? It's really nice when right. somebody can actually think about those things and talk about it with you, right? So yeah. if you give them those hypotheticals and they give you good answers, then maybe that's a good therapist. That's really good advice. That's wonderful. I love that. Dr. Judy Ho, never leave us. I know. <laughs> You're so, it's so fun to talk to you. There's, Time has passed so quickly. Yes, today. It has, Thank right? you <laughs> so much. Everybody, check out her book on self sabotage. Stop self sabotage. Six steps to unlock your true motivation. Harness your willpower and get out of your own way. Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? And you're on TV a lot. You have your own show now. 
So I'm a co-host on The Doctors. Yeah. Right? It's been so fun. I love those guys. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. yeah. It's a really good, really like conscious and educational show. So I feel very proud to be a part yeah. of it. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. I always catch it after Wendy Williams. Oh, yes. <laughs> Another great show. How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> <laughs> my favorite. It's my guilty pleasure. It's my I revolve. It. I love it. <laughs> thank you so much thank for you sitting so down Thank you so much. Thank you both. Bye. Bye. Okay, today's Roses and Thorns is, is so rosy. So rosy. We're so excited about this partner. We're talking about Root of It All. We've been explorers in the space of the world of cannabis mm-hmm. long before we had microphones in front of our face. Since before I could drive a car. We put in our 10,000 hours. <laughs> you could say that pros, again. Yeah. And we came across this brand called the Root of It All, which is an Ayurveda-inspired line of cannabis-infused essential oils and topicals formulated for a range of needs to keep you balanced the natural way. They contain all natural herbs and spices and they are blended with cannabis, ocean grown and sun powered in sunny California. They are so good for traveling, for dealing with winter, for shopping with the family, for going to sleep. Anything that you need in your life, this product can assist you with. So Ease and Unwind are two of my favorites. They're CBD rich and THC light. Mm -hmm. So they're effective without the heavy high making them perfect. And they're like risk-free gifts for maybe if we have a friend or a family member or yourself who wants to dip your toe in the world of cannabis, but you're not trying to like be comatose on the couch. The thing that's important to note is that they're blended with not only the CBD and the THC, but with essential oils. So example, there's a rewind, which is a topical cream that is blended with turmeric, black pepper, and cloves. And it is great for aches and pains of all kinds. so good. I love it. So that's a great topical that they make. And then there's also, for instance, the slow, which I really like at night. I love that at night. That's mixed with orange, basil, and sweet fennel. And it helps ease anxiety and induce calm, serene state. I'll tell you what, on my office hours days, a little go, the go, a little dropper dropper. Oh yeah. That's a like a THC forward blend and it's great. I don't get high from it, but Mm-mm. I get focused and motivated and it's just wonderful. The love is deep and real. So if you guys are in California, California Colorado or Washington, you can go to your local dispensaries and pick it up. And if you don't live in those states, go to at the root.ci on Instagram and then just check it out. And then yeah. when you come to California, you can do a little purchasing. We highly recommend. Yeah. Huge fans. Yeah. All right. Now, Roses and Thorns, play the jingle. Roses and Thorns. Roses and Thorns. Roses and Thorns. Hey, we're here with Roses and Thorns. The high, the low, the good, the bad. What's happening, Steph? I actually have like a few roses. Oh my God, hit me with all of them. Okay, so my first rose starts with a thorn and ends with a rose. Okay. So as you know, at your event for the Getaway House, Mm -hmm. shout out Getaway House. That's not part of it, but that is a rose. I seem to have misplaced my wallet. Right. And then I went back to the place like four times. Sawyer and Silver Sawyer, Such a cute spot. So good. I was like, I know it's here. I had a clutch and it had fallen upside down and I remember picking it up. So like my logical brain, like, that had to have been the place where I lost it. Wasn't there. I kept going back. It was like an obsession. I went back to Sunset Tower where I got one after that. Wasn't there. Like called both Ubers I took. No one was finding it. I was like, but I just knew in my heart that it was not missing. Then like a week had gone by and I was just like, okay, like I haven't canceled the cards because I keep thinking it's going to turn up. And then finally I was like, if someone steals all of our money, it's going to be my fault. <laughs> so I <laughs> have to cancel the cards. I canceled the cards. And then one day later I open the back 
door of my car and the wallet's underneath my driver's seat. SMDH. And I'm like, what the fuck? Then I go to Thanksgiving at m and Beaches, think I have my wallet, wake up the next day to go to breakfast with my mom, don't have my wallet again. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? This goddamn wallet cannot stay with me. So, and I had lost my keys in Santa Barbara. I know. It's been a rough couple months. <laughs> so I decided, a friend of mine recommended that I get this thing called Tile. Okay. Which, allow me to show it to you. Please show. Is this. It's a keychain with a tile. So check this out. I'll do it. I'll do an example okay. on the show. Okay. It, it's 400 feet. So okay. if your keys or your wallet are in your possession or in your home or somewhere, yeah. you will find them. Or like, say you think you went to like a restaurant and it's not, they're not finding it. If it's there, this will tell you. Okay. So you, you go like this. Ready? Okay. So I have my keys in my hand. Pretend like they're missing. And we'll go to the tile app on my phone. Find keys. Find. Not sponsored, but open to it. Calls your shit for you. That's okay? amazing. How much is something like that? I got two of them mm-hmm. for $60. Perfect holiday gift. One's in my wallet. I wish I had gotten the card because they have one that's like actually shaped like a credit card, but uh-huh. I didn't realize that. So I just put another one of these in my wallet. Okay. But they also have ones that are like little stickers that you can put on your remotes and you can put them on things all over your house. And then in the app, you label each different thing it was like the easiest thing to set up. I'm so fucking obsessed. Like That's so cool. I can't believe it took me this long to find out about this. I love that. Isn't that awesome? A thorn into a rose I know. into a stem. It just, it's the best thing ever. That's amazing. Yeah, find my wallet. I wish we would have added that to our holiday gift guide. Got my wallet. It's in my hand. <laughs> yeah, tile is like my number one. That's an amazing discovery. discovery. Yes. How incredible. I okay, know. So my rose is... You mentioned that I hosted a dinner a little while back Mm -hmm. with Getaway and I actually got to go. Oh, yes. So Getaway is this, basically this dream of an experience that they have tiny cabins, like the little tiny houses that you would see on tiny house shows. Sure. And they have these little outposts all over the country Mm -hmm. and they just opened one in LA up in Big Bear. And they're these beautiful tiny cabins that are deep in nature. And I went for two nights, essentially like a day, a full day and a half and had the most incredible experience. They really encourage you to get offline. There is no internet. Then how was your boyfriend texting me? Because he had, you can have your phone. Oh, you can. Yeah. You can have your phone, but they do offer this little like wooden lockbox to put your phone away you when you're that? there. I did. Cute. And just... The whole idea is to be able to just reconnect within nature and kind of like get back to self. It was such a special escape. And one thing that came up to me as I was writing was like time and space and how important it is to make time and space for that. Right. And I feel it in my bones, my inability to do that. So Mm. I guess like that was the thorn of the realization of it's like I'm constantly distracting myself. Right. And even in all of the self-work that we're exposed to through doing this show and consciousness that we have around the distractions we have. And I'm so aware of like when I'm picking up my phone and, and how I don't let myself sit with my feelings sometimes to just even in those 24 hours to like I had moments of like anxiety and thinking about things that like made me upset and just not dashing to my phone or not dashing to the TV or not dashing to the computer, just really sitting with it. And 
Welcome to the inside of my head. Yeah, right. (laughs) And I just felt so grateful that I was able to give myself that time. And I just love that Getaway was able to like create an experience for all of us to access that supports that, supports just shutting off for a minute. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's also kind of a shame that we now have to make effort that we have to make for like living in this day-to-day world to allow time for that. Sometimes I feel like in life, you can't know that you can do something or know that you can have something until you like have felt it or you have experienced it in some capacity. Like, so maybe you doing that, it doesn't have to just live in that like isolated experience. Like you felt that feeling, you've you've walked that walk and now you can take it back with you and like apply it in your everyday life because that's really what you are seeking to not have to go out away to say, I don't oh, really yeah. need this right now. I don't like, need this right leave now. your phone down in your house for four hours and, like, everything will be fine. I promise you, I'll be happy. <laughs> will you be okay? Yeah, I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you guys, I think that you guys would love if you go to getaway.house, that's the website, you can see these adorable tiny cabins. I can't wait to go. So special. You're going to love it. It's so cool. I really want to go back in the summer and you can like grill and, and do like all these like outdoor hikes and all that. It was really snowy. So it was more of like an. Oh, I'm so thing. jealous of that. I was uh, going to go with Aaron, but then they were like, the time you want to go, Aaron's my writing partner. They're like, the time you want to go, you, there's only one bed. I was like, oh, uh, no. <laughs> That'd be super cozy. I was like, we can't do that. Um, But yeah, wow. That's so cool. I'm so happy really, for you. really, really elated by the whole thing. So Joey texted me and I was like, aren't you not supposed to be on your phone? Like I was like shaming him. He wasn't abiding by that as much as I was just because I really wanted to give myself some time and yeah. I'm really and we all and you're right like we can all do that for ourselves but it's like you have moment. to feel it before you can know that you can exactly. do it exactly that's the thing so it was like a rose filled experience that revealed some thorns but I think that that is so beneficial always not everything is always rosy in our hearts and minds also beneficial and also I will say rosy in our hearts and minds what we have an event with Ambie coming up December 17th yep it's a Tuesday 7 p.m. We have a few tickets left. She's going to be doing a little end of year astro talk plus a sound bath. Her sound baths, you guys, are like a hot ticket here in L.A. I know we have listeners coming, like flying in for this, which I'm so excited to meet them. Oh, my God. That's so cool. It's so cool. So it's going to be just like a final celebration of 2019. Take a load off, lay on down, get some sonic massages happening within Mm. your in your soul. Yeah. It's going to be really special. I can't wait. I'm going to invite some more people. Yeah, it's going to be wonderful. And don't forget, we have our holiday gift guide slash giveaway happening at this moment on Instagram. Post. When will we be picking the winners? At the end of this week. Perfect. End of next week. Perfect. The week of Christmas. Great. Whatever that is. I don't have my calendar in front of me. Wonderful. We'll be picking them, I think, the 20th. Okay. That feels right. I have Um, a song to play for the way out right now. But just really quickly, one of the things on the gift guide. I'm just looking over this gift guide right now. The All's Well journals, which I'm currently using. They're mm. so good. They're like half write, half draw. Very great for creativity. I have to say that I brought my sleep ground pillow. I bring it with me everywhere, yeah. but I brought it with me to get away and I was like so cozy with yeah. it. And we have a whole list of other things. You can find that all on our Instagram. Yes, Steph, play it out. Festive. Everybody's in a hurry, in a 
Who sings this? It's like Cozy Little Christmas by Katy Perry. My brother sent it to me this morning. Oh, cute. All right. Well, thank you so much to Dr. Judy Ho for joining us on this episode. Thanks to everybody who's been sending in their entries for the giveaway. We love seeing which episodes you like. And don't forget to namaste listening. Thanks so much. <laughs> yes, that's a retrograde.